The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And Chen's uh, newsletter, uh, you do, if you're interested in signing up for that, you do, do need to put your name on a waiting list. Go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, and check in uh, to Chen Lin's site there and put your name on, the, uh, on a waiting list. At the beginning of each quarter, Chen accepts a number of new uh, subscribers. Uh, certainly, the markets are looking up for the things that we talk about uh, in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and I'm sure the same is true with Chen. We are seeing a significant improvement in the gold price. Uh, the sense is that we may have seen a bottom here, and we may be ready for the uh, for the next major leg up in the uh, in the gold price, which will certainly uh, help the sponsors to this show. Will certainly help those of us who have put a lot of money, uh, a good portion of our uh, of our uh, retirement accounts or investments into uh, the mining shares. We've had a couple of really dreadful years. Uh, I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And, of course, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show uh, are Blue Goldwaters Technologies, Prophecy Platinum, Balmoral Resources Limited, Golden Arrow Resources, and SGX Resources. should just mention uh, a couple of things uh, about our uh, sponsors, Balmoral Resources, trading at 61 cents today, uh, up a couple of pennies. Blue Goldwater uh, Technologies at 22 cents. Uh, Prophecy Platinum at 72 cents, up a couple of cents. SGX Resources, probably the most junior company on our list, though it has some great exploration projects uh, in uh, Ontario. Dale Ginn heads that one up. Uh, 11 and a half cents and Golden Arrow at uh, 25 cents. They have a major uh, silver deposit discovery in Argentina. Uh, I should mention also that uh, some of the companies that we've been talking about on this show have performed exceptionally well. A couple of weeks ago, we had Sandgold on uh, the president of Sandgold, and that is a stock that has uh, nearly doubled uh, in price since we had uh, the president of the company on a few weeks back. Uh, another one that's done exceptionally well that I talked about in last week's newsletter is Allied Nevada. Uh, and uh, if I have time towards the end of today's show, I'll try to talk a little bit more about both of those uh, about both of those companies. One thing I'd like to say is that if you enjoy this show, I think you might very well enjoy my friend Al Corlin's show. And that you can find at kereport.com. That stands for CorlinEconomicReport.com. It's uh, kereport.com. Al has a show every Saturday. Uh, you can download it, listen to it as a podcast. Uh, I happen to be a guest on it once in a while. Uh, but just to give you an idea, uh, 
the uh, so the guests that were on last week. It was uh, Alistair McLeod, who's been on this show frequently. Uh, Michelle Bouchard of Clifton Star, president of that company, a geologist, was on. Uh, also, John Kaiser, who I hope to get on this show uh, in the near future, was on uh, in a panel discussion with myself, uh, Michelle Bouchard, Alistair McLeod, and also Marshall Barrell uh, of the Encompass Fund. It's a very successful gold-orientated uh, mutual fund that you can invest in. Uh, so if you go to kereport.com, you can uh, you can hear that discussion. I listened to it again and thought it was quite interesting, uh, the various views of the people uh, that uh, discussed uh, the the gold markets and other topics. In the second hour, it is a two-hour show that Al has as well, just as mine is a two-hour show. His is a two-hour show. Uh, he also talked about, uh, he had a person named Sonia Weingard, uh, from the Northwest Animals for Nature, uh, for Natural Therapy. Uh, and Al has a, a portion on his show called Persons Making a Difference. It's a, a nice feature that Al has there. But then he also had uh, Jeff Dice, my good friend and Ron Paul's former chief of staff, uh, was on to talk about the Syrian situation. Uh, Glenn Downs, who's the chief of staff for Congressman Walter Jones, was also on. And uh, uh, so those are some of the things also... The nuclear accident in Japan uh, was also discussed. I think this is a story that isn't getting any attention at all in the major press. But if it is true, it is a very, very significant story. Uh, the uh, disaster in Japan a few years ago apparently, according to some reports, is spilling huge amounts of radioactive material into the Pacific Ocean and it's washing up on the, west, on the shores of uh, western uh, shores of North America. Anyway, all of that is available if you want to listen to it at the kereport.com. I'd like to also request that all of you keep your uh, questions and uh, comments coming uh, this way. We, we do enjoy hearing what you have to say, either pro or con. Uh, in fact, I think some of the, the best information that we get, the most uh, stimulating things that we hear are sometimes not what we want to hear. I always believe it's important to seek the truth and keep an open mind that maybe sometimes you don't have the truth. Maybe sometimes someone else has it right and you have it wrong. Well, I try to keep that uh, that mindset all the time when I talk to our guests, I do have my biases. I do have my belief system for sure, and uh, and I and that is going to come into my own discussion. Uh, everybody has their own values, and so, uh, but we want to keep an open mind so that if we're wrong, we can correct our ways and improve ourselves in the future. But and so, I say that to remind you to send in your questions, comments, and criticisms to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, questions for Taylor at gmail.com. I would like to just read uh, one comment that came from a listener named Chris last week, and he uh, talking about some of the issues that I've talked about recently uh, to do with uh, Cicero's quote and the quote of John Fitzgerald Kennedy, and he warning us the, uh, uh, from uh, to, aw- to, uh, to avoid secret societies and uh, behind-the-scenes political power. If it is to be a democracy and a government by the people for the people, then the people should have the say and not some sinister uh, forces behind the throne that seem to be in charge of American policy these days. Anyway, Chris wrote, and I, and I quote, he says, I wrestle with the same questions you do, but it is pretty clear to me what and who we are dealing with here. What isn't clear is who is working behind the scenes to control these people, let alone stop them. I think it was clear that John Kennedy, too, uh, you've played his speech about the uh, infiltrators, sounds like traitors, on your show more than once. After he tells us about these shadowy figures who rely on covert means, he rips the audience for not reporting any of it. I wonder how many people can connect those dots. Seems to me that JFK's speech and this quote from Cicero are getting uh, are getting at the same cancer that has eaten many nations uh, from within and doing the same again right before our eyes. End of quote from listener Chris. Well, I would like to just note that President Eisenhower was always uh, talking and warning about the cancer from within and noted that most societies are destroyed from within, not from without. And, of course, as we look out and are ready to start another war, it seems as though we are always, uh, well, it, nobody is seeming to be, with the exception of uh, the, the uh, Snowdens of this world, the WikiLeaks folks and Ron Paul and a few others, most everybody is trying to blame all of our problems on people on the outside. And there doesn't seem to be much uh, 
much of any desire to look at any problems that we might have within our own nation. So I'm going to read this quote again from Marcus Cicero because I think it is so, so important to grasp what may be going on in our own nation. And I quote uh, Marcus Cicero, 58 B.C. A nation can survive its fools and even the ambitious, but it cannot survive treason from within. An enemy at the gates is less formidable, for he is known and carries his banner openly. But the traitor moves amongst those within the gate freely, his sly whispers rustling through all the alleys, heard in the very halls of government itself. For the traitor appears not a traitor. He speaks in accents familiar to his victims, and he wears their face in their arguments. He appeals to the baseness that lies deep in the hearts of all men. He rots the soul of a nation. He works secretly and unknown in the night to undermine the pillars of the city. He infects the body politics that it can no longer resist. A murderer is less to fear. A traitor is the plague, end of quote. Well, I do think that we have a big problem. I do think that we have traitors from within. I think, uh, if nothing else, our First Amendment rights should guarantee the Edward Snowdens of this world an ability to express uh, what is going on in, in government. Uh, certainly, we don't want to imperil the safety of our country, and I don't think Edward Snowden wanted to do that. I don't think so at all. But it is also possible that President Eisenhower's warnings and Cicero's warnings are really what we should be fearing here. We should be really worried more about the cancer from within. I mean, after all, what is it that we're supposed to be fighting for overseas? I thought that our people gave up their lives, our, our young men and women, that fight overseas for this lofty idealism of our founding fathers, of liberty and justice for all. What well, we pledged allegiance to the flag as kids in, high, in grade school. Uh, and, and I thought that's why we went to Vietnam. I thought that's why we, uh, we are in the Middle East and Iraq and all these places. If that's not the reason we're there, then why are we there? Uh, and, uh, and so I think that we really need to examine our souls and try to understand what this country is really about. Is it about materialism? Is it about being richer and richer? Is it about keeping our economy alive or trying to? Uh, and, uh, well, in any event, we'll, we will be talking about some of those issues today. In today's show, uh, David Stockman will be joining me, as well as John Williams and Daniel McAdams. And towards the end of the show, Frank Holmes, the CEO of U.S. Global, will, will be with me. When Stockman headed Ronald Reagan's Office of Management and Budget, he pushed publicly for significant budget cuts to ensure future solvency of America. And a politically embarrassed Ronald Reagan took Stockman to the woodshed for a good beating to straighten him out. Trouble is, David was right. Fiscally responsible by, uh, by Stockman's boss and all presidents that, uh, uh, since him has led America to the brink of global insolvency. And maybe that's the reason we have to go overseas to try to conquer uh, and to feed the parasitic body from within, within the United States. Uh, we, we're going to have John Williams, an uh, economist, uh, will be with, the, with us at around 4 o'clock New York time. Uh, he'll tell us uh, that the BLS, that's the Bureau of Labor Statistics, is misleading us by understating inflation and unemployment. Uh, and that, uh, that means... Um, and that means a continued economic instability and the need to discard uh, your fraudulent dollars, I believe, for honest money, and that's gold. So a major part of our insolvency stems from socialism uh, for the rich and powerful military-industrial complex that President Eisenhower warned us about. Uh, so how do we protect ourselves? Well, uh, towards the end of today's show, Frank Holmes will be with me. And Frank uh, is, as I say, is the uh, CEO of U.S. Global. And Frank uh, should have a lot of uh, ideas about how you can preserve your capital. Uh, he has a couple of gold funds there, mutual funds uh, under the umbrella of the U.S. Global. And a lot of other ideas, too. So, uh, you know, we, we want to examine the world that we live in, try to understand it as best we can, uh, look at ourselves and each of us individually to find out if we are serving our families, taking care of those around us, because I really believe that a nation is built from the bottom up, not from the top down. It's not what our country does for us. It's what basically what we do for our families, how we take care of each other. Uh, and if the family is strong, the community is strong, the counties are strong, the states are strong, the nation is strong. Unfortunately, if the families break down, uh, we've got big problems. I think we have a lot of social problems uh, that are caused to a great extent by this notion that we can have something for nothing, that we can just print our way out of trouble. Uh, we, uh, it's an undisciplined policy uh, uh, measures, I think, that are causing us a lot of trouble. 
Uh, we are going to have to go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we'll be talking to Daniel McAdams uh, of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, and I think Daniel's going to have some things to say about the United States getting ready now to go to war once again. I mean, we are a country that is at war perpetually, it seems, to stop the bad guys or are the bad guys from within? That's a, a question we'll pose to Daniel, but we're going to probably ask him a little bit about, quite a lot about, in fact, uh, Syria and the uh, the march towards war that our president seems hell-bent on, uh, on engaging in. So we'll be right back after the break with Daniel McAdams. Don't go away. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Well Green Platinum Group metals, nickel, and copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Some things never go out of style. In the gold business for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol B-A-L-M-F and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol B-A-R. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have Daniel McAdams uh, with me again, Executive Director of Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. And because our foreign policy is so much opposed, I believe, in my view at least, to the Constitution of the United States, and because I believe our warmongering overseas is playing a major role in the economic destruction of our country, not to mention the destruction of our freedom and liberties at home, uh, I want to have Daniel... um, on Daniel and or other members of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity on our show on a regular basis. Uh, and, uh, well, Daniel's a regular member. If you would like to know more about him, you can read his bio at the Voice America website. Uh, we only have a few minutes with Daniel today, so, and he's going, and he's actually talking to us from Hawaii today. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you, Jay. It's great to be with you. Great to, great to have you again. Uh, I know that, um, you know, that this whole thing about, uh, Syria seems to really, it seems to me that we are really hell bent on going to war. Today's headline in the Financial Times, London's Financial Times, re- reads Kerry says Assad used chemical, uh, chemicals is undeniable. Um, so, what, what is the evidence that, that, that you know of that is saying this is undeniable that uh, Assad is behind this uh, chemical? Well, you know, K- Kerry's performance is even, even more despicable than the unfortunate performance of Colin Powell back in the run-up to the Iraq War. You know, at least Colin Powell was lied to and was given uh, some bogus information to present to the U.S. people. Uh, Kerry hasn't even done that. Uh, Kerry just said, look, uh, we decided that they used it. Uh, we know that they did. Um, we'll show you some evidence at some point, but, uh, but we're going in. So they haven't even bothered with the dog and pony show to try to convince us, at least to this point. Perhaps they will if they get some pushback. But uh, it just shows how much further we've gone downhill, even from 2003. 
You think that uh, they're just the read of the American public is they don't care? Uh, they don't care, but mo- more than that, Jay, they're ill-informed. Look at the mainstream media. Uh, I was just glancing at things this morning. The Wall Street Journal, Syria defiant as U.S. prepares attack. I mean, that's exactly the same wording they use with Iraq. What, is, what does the word defiant mean? Defiant, it's defiant when you say, you know, don't attack us. We haven't done this. Yeah, I mean, why would you, uh, would you say, oh, please attack me? Uh, I'd like that. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So, so they're using the same words. The, the general public is, is not getting the, the full story at all. They're only hearing Kerry and the warmongers in Congress on both sides uh, who have been pushing for this uh, for, a, for a long time, and now they believe they have their pretext, uh, and that frames the issue. And, and, and people like you and, and, and Pat Buchanan and others who are saying this is a bad idea, uh, you know, they're consigned, unfortunately, to, uh, to, to, to smaller venues, you know. Well, let's go back to the Iraqi war. Uh, did we ever have any evidence there were weapons of mass destruction and chemical weapons used there? No, it was all cooked up. If you remember, there was this fellow called Curveball who was an Iraqi alcoholic um, who cooked up a bunch of lies and sold them to the U.S. Um, there were several others. Uh, look at Ahmed Chalabi, who after he, after he participated in lying us into war, said, well, you know, I was a hero in error. You know, I did the right thing uh, to, to get the overthrow, but, um, you know, I was wrong about the, uh, about the other stuff. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the, the general theme that we get from the mainstream media is that we should all be good patriotic Americas and Americans and get behind Obama and our military-industrial complex. And, you know, the Times said, uh, Secretary Kerry said that President Obama will make an, in, quote, informed decision about the U.S. response, uh, what he what he calls a moral obscenity, yeah. uh, and Kerry, Kerry said nothing is more serious, nothing is receiving more serious scrutiny. Uh, but then, on the other hand, Vladimir Putin said there is no evidence that the Syrian uh, regime had had been guilty of a chemical weapons attack. So, well, what again? What evidence is there, Daniel? I mean, in fact, I'm hearing some some ideas from the other side that, in fact, it's the people that we're supporting that may have. And, and interestingly enough, there was supposed to be a United Nations team of inspectors that was supposed to be able to go in there and, and determine the truth, but they were fired at and weren't allowed to get, get in and, and see the, uh, you know, the people that died. So, Yeah, I think, I think what they made their way back in there. What's interesting about this U.N. team, you know, if we back up a little bit, the, the whole genesis of this, this, uh, this latest push to war is really interesting. So, you know, we're supposed to believe, you know, the U.N. inspectors team arrived uh, within 72 hours of this, of this attack, which was on the 21st of August, right? Mm-hmm. They arrived mm-hmm. a couple of days before uh, at the invitation of the Syrian government to examine a couple of other previous sites of alleged chemical attacks. Ah. So the Assad let them in and said, you know, have a look at these sites and assess them. So within, within a couple of days of them arriving... We're supposed to believe that Assad is going to fire a chemical weapon in their direction, uh, killing a couple of hundred people, um, and 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 uh, you know this is something that he's going to he's going to fire at the UN inspectors. You know, it's it's just so bizarre, stupid, and idiotic to expect us to believe this. You know, and as far as, far as the righteousness and moral. Indignity or, or, uh, of, uh, of of carry on this indignation of carry on this. Uh, look, how long has the U.S. been supporting the Egyptian military that just a couple of weeks ago killed several thousand civilians protesting in the street? It doesn't seem to bother them, but supposed a supposed couple of hundred people killed by something that even um, even seasoned uh, uh, chemical weapons experts say it just does not carry the signature of sarin gas. Uh, no. First of all, the doctors are treating these people without any protective gear on. These doctors would all be dead if it were these kinds of weapons they're saying. Uh, so it just doesn't add up to the experts. Uh, so, but the you know the, essentially the administration is saying uh, we don't you know don't bother us with all this. We're convinced we know it is, and we're going in. Sounds and an awful lot like today is that they'll be in yeah. by Thursday. They're going to call back Congress, uh, which is which is their enabler. They'll get, a, they'll get some sort of an authorization. It'll be wrapped in beautiful language about peace and democracy, but mm-hmm. it'll have a couple of magic words in it 
that will serve as an authorization for the president to use force. And then you'll see a couple of days of Tomahawk missiles going in. And the irony, Jay, is supposedly is a retaliation for one to 300 people who were supposedly killed by this weapon. The U.S. will probably kill tens of thousands right. uh, with Tomahawk missiles. These are 1,000-pound bombs. These are not little surgical strikes. These are 1,000-pound bombs that are going to strike Syria. A, they're going to kill many, many people just by exploding. And B, what about all the chemicals that are going to be dispersed by the so-called, uh, you know, by the Tomahawk's mission of blowing up Assad's chemical weapons stockpiles? Yeah. Uh, are we supposed to believe that these will all be magically incinerated and not a single speck will be dispersed among the population? So we're, we're facing the possibility of killing tens of thousands of people to supposedly punish Assad for killing a couple of hundred. You know, it's yeah. just absolutely mind-boggling. And this is all for the sake of democracy, but we showed how much we respect democracy in Egypt, haven't we? Sure, and, and in other places as well. Democracy yeah. is what we say it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah demo- our kind of democracy, as Hillary Clinton said recently, and we sure, want, we want our kind of democracy. We're going to take over in Syria once, once Assad is overthrown. We've seen the kinds of lunatic jihadists who are blowing up churches, uh, attacking minorities, attacking Christians. Uh, forcing women to wear veils. Um, these are the people that will take over. Yeah, Not to say Assad is the kind of guy that is an ideal leader, but look look what follows him. Daniel, I was reading here a, a Reuters report today. A Syrian Kurdish leader says Assad is not to blame for the chemical weapons attack. He says Assad would not be so stupid as to use chemical weapons close to Damascus. So this is sort of what you were saying as well. How, how, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen that report or not. I've seen I've seen several other reports that say he wouldn't he wouldn't use yeah. it. Uh, yeah. He's not shown himself to be yeah. so foolhardy yeah. throughout the entire war. Yeah. Um, he's actually been militarily quite clever in fighting a very very difficult insurgency that's supported from from without you know supported by foreign sponsors uh, with a seemingly unlimited supply of money and weapons and fighters. Uh, so he's not done anything so foolhardy before. And and also Jay, the stakes are so low. He's fighting 25,000, 30,000 uh, insurgents, jihadists, and he's mm-hmm. going to trouble himself to kill 300 women and children? Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make, make any sense. Why? why? It doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, you know, we lied our way into one war in Iraq, and it looks like we're getting ready to do it again. And American people, if they don't, you know, hey, look, and the, the, you know, you you talk about tens of thousands of people that are killed in Iraq, and and there are going to be lots of deaths here too. But you know, it reminds me so much of what I was reading in Peikoff's book about how the Germans killed the Jews, uh, and they had dancing girls and flower gardens atop the ovens. You know, I mean, it's to me we're keeping this all sterile. We don't have it in our television. We don't. It's not like Vietnam where we saw some awful things on our television screens. These days, we're not seeing anything, and it seems to me as if the American people, you know, out of sight, out of mind. It's not. It's not no big deal, you know. And besides, there are people that are different than us. Who? How should? Why should we care? Sure. We saw that in Libya. As soon as the liberation was completed, the cameras went off, and nobody yeah. saw the tens of thousands that were murdered. Yeah. Well, uh, I, you know, I mean, uh, enormous amount of black-skinned Libyans who are who are um, our allies massacred because of their dark skin. Yeah, um, we just have an, another minute or so to go here, but I see um, there was another report. Uh, that I read, Chris Harmer, a senior naval analyst at the Institute for Study of War, uh, said, and I quote, any ship officer can launch 30 or 40 Tomahawk missiles. It is not difficult. The difficulty is explaining the strategic, uh, to strategic planners how this advances the U.S. interest, end of quote. So how will this advance the U.S. interest? Well, it depends on, <clears throat> I think you and I, Jay, and, and, and people like, like Ron Paul, have a different view of what the U.S. interest is than uh-huh. than uh, the warmongers in Washington, and yeah. also the chem- the weapons manufacturers, and those are the people, uh, ironically, who fund the Institute for the Study of War. If you uh-huh. look at the the site, uh, they're all funded by by arms manufacturers. So even though that doesn't sound like a bad quote, they're always pushing for war. Uh, so they have a different view of America's best interest. You and I believe our best interest is in being friends and doing business with the people overseas rather than yeah. blowing them up. 
Well, I think we're in the minority, and I guess I guess maybe this continued warmongering and aggression overseas will continue until it can't any longer, until financially we're not able to uh, to carry it on. I suppose I, I don't know. I mean, I, some one part of me says buy the defense stocks because th- these things are just there's not going to be any end to the revenues coming in until the system breaks down, perhaps. But uh, the other part of me that was brought up as a Mennonite and as a person who was uh, brought up as a conscientious objector, it's difficult for me to uh, uh, to, to think that way, you know, to, to think in terms of profiting from this. But clearly there is a huge military-industrial complex that President Eisenhower warned us about that seems to me, uh, you know, is sort of his worst nightmare in a way that seems to be taking over. Yes, I wouldn't go along with... Uh, with uh... <laughs> With military stocks, with defense stocks. I can't do it conscientiously. I, I have a difficult time doing that. But in any event, in a way, all of us are part of the system. We pay our taxes. We are, uh, as long as we vote for people that keep us at war, we are all part of the same system, I guess. Well, anyway, that's all the time we have, Daniel. I look forward to talking to you next week, and uh, we do have to go to a commercial break. Thanks again for being with us. Thanks, Jay. Bye-bye. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with David Stockman. Uh, we'll have, uh, we'll have, uh, want to hear what he has to say about, uh, military spending and other things as well. Lots to talk about with David, and we didn't get nearly everything covered the last time, so I'm really glad to know he's back with me to, uh, today. So don't go away. We'll be right back with David Stockman. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. SGX Resources is an exploration gold company with multiple advanced exploration projects in the Timmins Gold Camp. Recent high-grade intersections at SGX's Tully Deposit include 14 meters at 20.1 grams per ton and 17.6 meters at 11.1 grams per ton. The deposit is currently more than 600 meters along strike with a depth of up to 250 meters and remains open in all directions. SGX Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange with the trading symbol SXR. Visit our website at www.sgxresources.com. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really, really pleased to have with me once again David Stockman. Well, uh, though, I, I, you know, many of you probably don't know David Stockman. It's hard for me to believe no, that there are people out there that don't know David Stockman because I'm old enough uh, and I was involved enough with politics and uh, my interest in politics and economics at the time he was the office, uh, uh, head of the Office of Management and Budget under Ronald Reagan. David Stockman was a household name at that time, almost as 
almost as big as the president, not quite, but it, for a period of time, uh, he was in the news in such a major way because he stood up to the president of the United States and to people in his own party and spoke the truth about fiscal responsibility. And so for that reason, I've always had a great deal of respect. I have a great deal of respect for anybody in politics who's not, uh, whose primary purpose is to tell the truth. I mean, there aren't too many of them. Even Ronald Reagan himself said they say politics is the second oldest profession, and he's been around it long enough to know it has a great deal in common with the oldest profession. So uh, David Stockman, Ron Paul, there are some people, and I know, David, you named a number of people in your book, and if we have time, we get to some of the people that you hold in high esteem that have been in politics. So, uh, but, but anyway, it's good to have you back. Thanks for coming back with us. Well, very happy to be here. You know, you heard perhaps a little bit of the end of my discussion with uh, Daniel right. uh, uh, from the Ron Paul Institute of Peace and Prosperity. You know, we talked a little bit, I think, the last time you were on about how Eisenhower warned about the military-industrial complex. Eisenhower felt that it was impor- as important for us to have a strong civilian economy. Uh, that was as important for our defense as it was to have a strong military economy. And during the years of uh, Ronald Reagan, of course, uh, well, Ronald Reagan ran the biggest budget deficit of any president up to that time, and he was given credit by a lot of people, uh, in the Republican Party at least, for outspending the Soviets, for spending so much money in the military to try to, uh, to, to just overwhelm the Soviet Union. Do you buy that argument, that it was our military uh, Yeah, superiority? no, I do not buy that argument, and I'm happy that you brought it up because I have a whole chapter in my book uh, that came out, uh, as you know, last spring, The Great Deformation, uh, in which I try to refute the myth that the Reagan defense buildup was necessary. As you know, it was massive. Yep. And that it led to the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, the Soviet Union collapsed on its own weight because socialism doesn't work because an economy dominated by the state ultimately ends up uh, uh, failing, uh, unwinding, uh, collapsing, uh, causing the people to eventually realize uh, that uh, it's, it's a failure. And I think uh, that was pretty evident even by the early 1980s that the Soviet Union was uh, heading, uh, getting long in the tooth, their industrial economy was faltering, and there was really no uh, basis for the buildup. And the irony is that once uh, the warmongers and the neocons and the military-industrial complex created a fear in Washington, in part because of the embarrassment of uh, you know the attempted rescue of the hostages in Iran uh, by uh, Carter, they got Reagan got a gave the Pentagon a blank check for a massive increase in the total dollars going to the defense budget, the top line went from about $150 billion that we inherited to $350 billion within a few years. Hmm. And the point that is really important is that was all justified as necessary to protect ourselves from a strategic nuclear threat uh, posed by the Soviet Union which, as I've said, uh, was not the case. But once that top line was um, allocated to the military and a coalition on Capitol Hill signed on to support it, most of the money, and I demonstrate this in my book, 90% went to conventional armaments, went Mm. to a massive buildup of the so-called 600-ship navy went to uh, re-equipping uh, our land forces, uh, you know, with a new generation of tanks and fighting armored fighting vehicles and for a massive expansion of attack uh, aircraft and helicopters, and I could go on, uh, including uh, the Tomahawk cruise missile program that we're talking about today. But all of that was useless against the Soviet nuclear threat, number one. And second, the Soviet Union disappeared from the face of history in 1991. And by then, the money had been spent building this massive conventional war machine that had no use, had no purpose, had no justification. And here we are uh, 25 years later, and it's being used 
for the kind of disasters that we've uh, engaged in over and over, Afghanistan, Iraq, and now apparently we're on the verge of doing it again with Syria. So there is an important uh, inflection point in history that occurred in the 1980s that put us in the position, a president, in a position of being able to, uh, you know, at will, uh, uh, attack another country that has not threatened our national interest because of a war machine that was put in place in the 1980s uh, on a false pretense. Well, it's, uh, I mean, so what does this do then to our economy, David? It creates, it creates um, I would think, misallocations of resources. I mean, if we're... Yeah, and uh, what, what could... Yeah. Well, it does but, that, but it also ensures that the fiscal paralysis and catastrophe that's unfolding will continue because obviously the defense budget at 650 billion is an important component of the budget but politically it's even more uh significant because if you're not cutting the defense budget in a world where we have no industrial enemies and can't possibly justify something like 650 billion it becomes very hard to say that you also need to go out and uh, cut back substantially on food stamps or education mm-hmm. grants or, you know, uh, urban uh, development assistance and the whole medley of programs that need to be cut back. And yet, this is why I am such a pessimist on the fiscal outlook. I mean, I think we have a disaster, uh, you know, coming down the road and not that far away. But part of the reason I feel that way is that once upon a time you could count on the liberals in the left wing to at least fight for rolling back massive military spending and taking on the military-industrial complex. Now, here we have John Kerry, Secretary of the State, who was a great hero to me in the early 70s when he opposed the Vietnam War like I did, and Barack Obama, who was elected on a peace plank and uh, in, uh, because the country was fed up with the Bush foreign policy and the Bush wars. And now you have the two of them out front leading the charge uh, for, you know, I call it Iraq, the sequel. Uh, we're yeah. rushing to war with the same kind of, uh, um, you know, ca- really careless, uh, heedless um, uh, frenzy uh, without uh, thinking through where we're going to be three weeks or three years down the road, what the real evidence is as to what these attacks were and who was responsible for them. They don't even want to hear whether the U.N. Uh, inspectors who are on the site uh, can uh, provide any evidence one way or another. They said it's too little, too late. That's what the White House is saying. They've already decided to go to war. So I think this is all of a large historical piece. Uh, a president would not be in a position uh, to go to war on the drop of a hat like we're seeing today had not this massive war machine been built in the 80s when the Cold War was almost over and uh, the machine was uh, absolutely unnecessary. But now we're stuck with it. And it's part of uh, the paralysis fiscally that's uh, driving, you know, the national debt uh, to, uh, you know, utterly dangerous uh, proportions. This thing will go then how long? Until, until fiscally it breaks down, the military cannot finance, be financed anymore? Is that, is that where it ends, David? Well, uh, it, it just rolls on. In other words, uh, the budget is a doomsday machine. Uh, the military-industrial mm-hmm. complex has co-opted both parties. Uh, obviously, we are reaching the point where small changes are being made. The sequester was never intended to be effective. They thought that was a gimmick that could get through the last crisis in August 2011. But even the cuts that are coming uh, from the sequester are pretty marginal, uh, pretty small beer, uh, and really don't uh, attack uh, the fundamentals. Uh, you know, we don't need 11 carrier battle groups. We don't need 1.5 million men under arms in the regular uh, services plus another million in the reserves and so forth. We need massive demobilization of the defense uh, uh, establishment 
And uh, I, I don't see that happening uh, until we have a, a massive fiscal crisis. Now, how soon that will come is very hard to predict. It would have happened already hadn't it been for the Fed engaging in this reckless bond-buying program that's made it appear that we can finance a trillion dollars a year worth of new government debt without any harm to the private economy, without any impact on interest rates, because it's being bought in very large proportion by the central bank. Well, if you think that that is sustainable for any uh, uh, indefinite period of time, then you basically believe in magic, you believe in uh, voodoo <laughs> economics, you believe in free lunch uh, 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 fiscal policy. Uh, it's not possible. So yeah. uh, we're heading to a point now where even some of the mad money printers on the Fed realize that uh, they're close to the edge, and even the mere uh, talk that we've had for some several weeks and months now about uh, beginning to taper back this massive bond buying is spooking the financial markets uh, to no end. So we've got a lot of forces all coming together here, uh, which uh, look uh, pretty troubling. Pretty ominous, I would say. Ominous. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if the tapering rhetoric, I mean, I, it's hard for me to see, David, how they can stop buying bonds and, and uh, mortgage-backed securities and so forth. Because the market, as to use a favorite word of yours, threw a hissy fit as soon as they suggested that they might wind down the uh, the purchase of this debt. Um, and I'm wondering if part of it, the rhetoric isn't to try to keep uh, investors from betting in one direction. That is, if everybody thought that the Fed couldn't stop printing, then the party could just keep going on and you could have things running out of control, a Dow that runs that goes hyperinflationary or something? Well, I think they are becoming cognizant of the fact that they've destroyed the financial markets, that interest rates don't mean anything anymore, uh, that you know all uh, financial prices, whether they're 10-year bond yields or short-term uh, interest rates or even you know the level of the Russell uh, 2000, that that is overwhelmingly being driven by short-run day traders who are trading what the Fed is likely to do next yeah. uh, or who are deploying the massive liquidity that they inject into the market every day with their bond buying, but they are not pricing risk or future cash flows or economic prospects or earnings of uh, companies. All of that has been destroyed. I think maybe the, some people on the Fed anyway are recognizing uh, that uh, the Fed is basically uh, you know, uh, driving the market and the market is trading against the Fed, that this is dangerous, it can't be sustained, and they're trying to find some way to wiggle out of uh, the dangerous uh, of, you know, casino that they have uh, transformed the, the financial system uh, into. Uh, and that's why maybe they're beginning to uh, uh, talk about uh, tapering in public, but as they get near the fact of tapering and the market reacts badly, then, uh, you know, they blink and uh, try to take it back or double-talk uh, the market into being uh, somewhat calmer. And, you know, I, I think this is really dangerous stuff. Uh, they've unleashed the furies, as I say. They've unleashed monstrous financial forces. And um, it's uh, only a matter of a black swan or a war going awry or some other unexpected event uh, that will puncture confidence and uh, result in the Fed losing control completely of these totally artificial markets uh, that they've created uh, oh. over the last several decades, but especially since September 2008 when the massive uh, you know, intervention in the uh, markets uh, began. 
Right. Well, you know, David, today we're uh, today the equity market is down. I see the Dow is down 131 points as we speak today, and the bond market is is up. So clearly, money coming out of the bond out of the equity markets and going into bonds, which is what's been happening. But one of the things I've noticed more recently is we'll have days when money is coming out of both the bond market, the Treasury markets, and the equity markets. Uh, that didn't used to happen, but it's happening fairly frequently these days. Do you think? The bull market in the long-dated treasuries that began about the time you were uh, in government back in Washington uh, in the early 80s is is over. Yeah, uh, the bull market lasted 33 years with uh, you know a few small short periods uh, uh, of reversal, and so we have a whole generation of investors and traders and uh, speculators who, ha- in the long run, have known nothing except a rising bond price and a understanding that if you own the middle and long-term uh, fixed-income securities or treasury bonds on leverage, that it's the equivalent of a printing press. And so uh, out of that has come a whole style of uh, investing and trading um, that um, is not sustainable in the long run, but is an artifact of a un extremely unusual uh, epic, you know, epic, let's say, in history, mm-hmm. where rates started at 15 or 16% and were driven uh, over three decades uh, to a low of maybe it was 1.47% yeah, or something crazy. like that on the 10-year. But I, I think, uh, although I don't always agree with Bill Gross, I think he was right when he said on April 19th, uh, the 33-year-long, uh, year-long, <laughs> Uh, bull market in bonds and fixed income is over. Mm-hmm. Now, that is profound. That is fundamental. Because if basically the trend going forward is towards normalization in one way or another, um, uh, it uh, sets up a totally different uh, financial environment than, than what we've had for decades now. Well, I guess for uh, for professional investors, there's opportunity to make money on both sides of the market. For common folks, I guess the temptation might be to go in and buy some ETFs that short the market, uh, that short the bond market. But uh, that could have its own dangers. These derivatives, I suppose. Well, that's true. But I think the larger point is that uh, effectively Washington has been shorting the market now for years. Uh, and by that I mean the uh, average duration of the Treasury holdings has gotten shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. They've been financing more and more of the incremental uh, debt uh, in the uh, short-term market, 90-day bills or two-year or even five-year notes. Um, and that end of the yield curve can't go any lower. Yeah. Uh, it's going to have to normalize. And as a result of that, uh, the cost of financing the $17 trillion and counting uh, gross public debt that we have today is going to skyrocket as we move into two- and four- and six-year uh, forward horizons. And that is only going to further compound and intensify uh, you know the fiscal vice that Washington will find itself in. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, we're we're financing the whole uh, debt today at two hundred fifty uh, billion, uh, and that is you know less than two percent weighted average carry. That is utterly unrealistic or unsustainable in a world where we know the inflation rate, even by the government measures, are two percent, and the inflation rate in the real world is uh, you know probably significantly higher. Higher so, than now. We we have uh, a non we're in a non viable condition, and uh, I don't know that they can kick the can uh, much longer. And this tapering talk and the prospect that the Fed will lose control and that interest rates will begin to normalize in the middle and longer uh, end of the market has got you know global uh, consequences and repercussions as we're beginning to see. Yeah, indeed, and we only have a few minutes left, so I want to ask you, if the bond market is about to, you know, if we've seen, if we've seen the highs in the long-dated treasuries, interest rates rising higher from here on, 
what would be the underlying cause? Because to me, that's the most important issue. We have people we've had on this show like Robert Prechter, who's, who's called the, called the, uh, the top in the bond market about a year ago. His belief is it will be because of insolvency, that that will be the reason that the bond market will crash. There are others like John Williams, who will be following you on this show in a few minutes, who is a hyperinflationist. He believes that the market, that the, uh, that the treasuries will, uh, market will collapse because they're going to predict hyperinflation. And then, of course, there's the, uh, the, the happy talkers in the mainstream that basically say interest rates will rise because everything is getting good again. The Keynesians believe that their, uh, their medicine is taking hold finally, which um, I know that you don't buy the Keynesian idea, no. but which of the two, why would the debt market start to uh, have problems now? Would it be because of a massive default or because of hyperinflation? Well, I think for three reasons. Number one, uh, the uh, foreign official uh, purchasers, uh, you know, the People's Bank of China and Japan and Korea and Taiwan and Malaysia and, uh, you know, go on down the line, are no longer uh, buying the Treasury because of what's happening in the uh, emerging uh, debt, emerging uh, market uh, debt world, they're actually selling uh, uh, on the on the margin uh, treasuries mm-hmm. right now in order to support uh, their currencies, uh, which are uh, collapsing. So that's uh, part of the demand that's been there, and as I pointed out, of the twelve trillion outstanding, roughly, of publicly held treasuries. Five trillion is in the vaults of central banks, including the Fed. So, if the foreign central banks are no longer buyers but maybe become sellers, that's a huge reversal. Second, Mm -hmm. most of the private buyers today own the treasury on leverage, not because they believe it's a good buy or because they believe the yield, you know, when it was 1.8% was a great uh, deal, or even 2.7% today, they were buying the Treasury because they could buy it on 98% leverage in the repo Mm. market and uh, harvest the spread and were confident for a while that the Treasury had the market pegged. But once the... Once confidence is lost in the day traders and the repo, uh, you know, the Treasury bond owners who are on repo... um, begin to doubt whether the price of the bond can be uh, pegged or held up, they're going to unwind their carry trade, um, and they're going to sell. They're not going to buy, and that's the second big source of demand uh, that will disappear. Uh, then you're in, you end up with some sleepy bond managers and banks who own the rest of the Treasury, the uh, <laughs> Treasury you know, float, that is uh, in um, central banks. And as soon as they have a few months or quarters of very bad results, uh, they're going to uh, lighten their load as well. So you're going to end up with a market that is uh, one-sided the other way. You know, for the last uh, many decades, especially the last few years of quantitative easing, uh, it's been a one-sided market where the Treasury, and, uh, or where the Fed and other central banks were huge buyers. Everybody else piled on a winning trade. And you drove the price of the bond in, uh, and the yield to utterly artificial, unsustainable levels. Now, we're in the unwind for the reasons that I've just given, and that's why I think the bond market is going to collapse. Uh, mm-hmm. The bond market is going to collapse because it was driven to an utterly artificial uh, level of pricing by you know this insane quantitative easing that's being done, has been, was being done by all the central banks of the world. All right, David, we're out of time, unfortunately. So this is going to leave, though, this is going to lead to massive bankruptcy, massive uh, defaults when the interest rates start to rise dramatically? Uh, absolutely, because the whole world is more levered than it ever has been before. Um, and when uh, interest rates start to normalize, the furniture is going to be breaking everywhere. Uh, in the high yield market, uh, in many, uh, you know, segments of the municipal bond market, uh, in all of these artificial structures that have been created, uh, in the housing market, uh, once again. Uh, so, uh, yes, uh, there is, uh, some pretty, uh, serious dislocation ahead. 
Well, David, thank you very much for being with us. Folks, you, you must read, if you care, two hoots about the United States and its economy and our future, The Great Deformation, The Corruption of Capitalism in America by David Stockman. David, thank you so much for being with us. It's really a pleasure uh, picking your brains and, and learning to know more about what's going on and, and getting your insights uh, from the inside of government a few years back and, and uh, also as a practitioner uh, on Wall Street, uh, you bring a lot of very valuable information. Thank you so much for being with us again. Very happy to talk with you, Jay. Thank you. And okay. folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with John Williams, uh, editor of Shadow Stats, uh, Shadow Government Statistics, and he's going to talk about some of the same things that David talked about uh, as well. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Williams. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Some things never go out of style. In the gold business for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol BALMF and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol BAR. <laughs> 